This is the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. The fiery furnace, the lion's den, the hand of God writing on the wall. I'm sure when most of you hear these phrases, you know immediately that I'm talking about historical events that are found in the Old Testament book of Daniel. This year, the Friends of Israel's national conferences were dedicated to studying the entire book of Daniel, and our next conference is this September in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For more information on that, you can go to foiradio.org. The prophetic visions from the book of Daniel don't just deal with future events. They also deal with issues of the human heart that transcend time. Daniel condemned ancient kings for their prideful hearts and prophetically looked ahead at the same time to an arrogance that will drive the Antichrist's agenda. Today on the program, we're going to examine how pride brought down kingdoms and empires and how the past gets replayed in the future. And then apples of gold. The Greek Orthodox Church recently sold hundreds of acres of land in Israel to foreign buyers. This land includes significant biblical sites like Caesarea, Jaffa, and large tracts of land in Jerusalem. The church is the second largest landowner in Israel and for years leased these lands to the state. The buyers are investment firms whose holdings are in the Caribbean. Israel's land administration is upset the Greek Orthodox Church didn't consider them first when selling the properties. And currently, Israeli lawmakers are working to transfer these tracts of land into the state's care. A few weeks ago, I came across a video online of a cyclist in a race. The camera filming the race was positioned right at the finish line. So the crowd, you could see them, and they were cheering because our cyclist was within 50 feet of winning the race. And you could tell that he was excited. So just feet before the finish line, he throws his hands in the air as if he's already won. And then all of a sudden, his bike starts to wobble back and forth. And the cyclist loses his balance. And before you know it, he's on the ground. The cyclist is only feet from winning the race. So he gets up as quick as he could. He jumps back on his bike, but just can't seem to get the momentum up to get back on and get the pedals going to go across the finish line. And just before you know it, the cyclist that was once in second place effortlessly glides past him to win the race. You know, this very short video is a perfect example of the biblical verse, Pride Goes before the fall. Here's a cyclist so certain of his victory, he pridefully raises his hands in the air before he's even won the race, and in that pride, he finds his demise. He literally falls off his bike. And here's the thing that's interesting about that biblical verse. The word for fall in Proverbs 16, 18 is actually in the Hebrew, the word destruction. Pride goes before destruction. In fact, that's the way most modern translations translate Proverbs 16, 18. And that word destruction can actually be used to communicate the destruction or the fall of an empire. And that's exactly what happened in Daniel chapter 5. Pride went before destruction. Daniel chapter 5 opens with a banquet that King Belshazzar was holding for thousands of his nobles in Babylon. However, what the text doesn't share 
is that outside the banquet halls, the citizens of Babylon were ready for change. They didn't like King Belshazzar or his father, Nabonidus, who left his son, Belshazzar, in control of the capital city. And not only were the citizens of Babylon ready for change outside the banquet hall, outside of the city walls of Babylon, Cyrus, the king of Persia, was ready to attack. Talk about pride. Babylon is on fire from the inside out, and King Belshazzar is throwing a party for himself and for his nobles of the empire. Daniel chapter 5, verses 2 and 4 says that when, when King Belshazzar, when, when he tasted the wine, he commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. To show Babylon's strength in the world, King Belshazzar had the temple vessels from Jerusalem brought into the banquet hall so they could drink out of them to show that the vessels once used to worship the Hebrew God are now used for King Belshazzar's pleasure. Well, immediately in Daniel chapter 5, immediately a hand appeared in King Belshazzar's line of vision and a hand wrote a message for the king on the wall. And this message changed the demeanor of the king. Kind of like that cyclist who fell on his bike. Fear gripped the king of Babylon. The text says that his color changed and his knees knocked together. Eventually, King Belshazzar had Daniel come and read the writing on the wall. So Daniel came to the king and read the writing on the wall. But before he would interpret the writing for the king, Daniel takes a moment to do what only Daniel could do best. And that was this. It was to recenter the history of Babylon around the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My friends, let me repeat that again. Daniel used this moment with King Belshazzar to recenter the history of Babylon around the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen to what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. Did you see and did you hear how Daniel recentered Babylon's history around the Most High God? Daniel reminded Belshazzar, there is no Babylon. There is no Nebuchadnezzar without the Most High God. But pride got the best of your father, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar. He got the best of him. And now Daniel turns to Belshazzar and says this, listen, and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, 
but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood and stone, which you do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Daniel's words are profound. He's telling Belshazzar that it's not only the Lord God who's at the center of Babylon's history, but it's the Lord God who's at the center of Belshazzar's life. Every breath Belshazzar breathes rests in the hands of God. So Daniel turns to the words written on the wall, mene, mene, tekel, uparsin. These words on the wall mean this, God has weighed the kingdom of Babylon and his balances and found it wanting. Babylon and Belshazzar's rule will end. And within moments, Cyrus, the king of Persia, and Darius the Mede took control of Belshazzar's Babylon. And it wasn't a lack of military strength or an unstable economy that brought down this mighty empire. Through God's eyes from the book of Daniel, it was pride that went before destruction. Here's the other thing we need to see before we transition from history here to prophecy. Something we need to remember about pride. Pride is essentially forgetting your position in God's plan. Remember our cyclist? See, he forgot his position. In his pride, he, he claimed victory before he even crossed the finish line. He, he positioned himself as the winner before he was even the winner. And in doing that, he lost. Pride is when we forget our position in God's plan. And, and the same could be said. Think of King Saul, David, and Solomon. Think about them. All, all of those kings did horrible things. And in fact, David probably did the worst of all of them. He deserved death for what he did to Bathsheba and Uriah. And yet God called him a man after his own heart. Why did God say that about David and not about Saul or Solomon? Well, it's simple. Pride ruined Saul and Solomon. They positioned themselves above God and they never repented or turned to God, acknowledging that he's right and they're wrong. But David, even after he committed murder and adultery, found the grace of God because David knew his position in God's plan. He, he knew God was right and he was wrong. He knew God holds every one of his breaths in his hand. And through humility and repentance, David found restoration and a renewed purpose to serve God as king of Israel. Do you know your position? You know, Pride forces us to think we're winners before we even cross the finish line. Pride only lets us see the world as we see fit, just like Belshazzar who was celebrating his kingdom as it was burning outside. Pride makes us think we are positioned above God. It's important to remember our position in God's plan. And the Apostle Paul knows his position perfectly, and and we should take note of what he says. Do you remember how he always starts his epistles? He says this, that he is a what? A bondservant. He always writes to tell the churches that he's a bondservant, 
And he always reminds himself and others that his position is to serve the living God. Today, I want you to take a moment to remember your position in God's plan. When we stop and think about our position, oftentimes God is recentered in our lives as we remember he holds every one of our breaths in his hand. Chris, as we're studying Daniel here, I'm wondering, do you have any books that you often reference in your studies of Daniel? You know, I do. And one of the ones that's been the most help to me has been Dr. Reynolds Shower's book on Daniel. It's called The Most High God. And and I like it because it's clear and concise. Uh, You know, Daniel can have some truly confusing parts of the book. And and Dr. Showers, what he does is he he breaks down those prophetic visions that are about nations and rulers and the Messiah so that God's plan for all of human history is spelled out for everyone to understand. We sell this book here at the Friends of Israel, and you can get your copy of The Most High God by just going to foiradio.org. Or you can call our listener line, 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940 for your copy of The Most High God. Welcome back, everyone. Now, before our break, we saw how pride brought down an empire, the Babylonian Empire from Daniel chapter 5. But what's fascinating about the book of Daniel is that history can seamlessly transition into prophecy. And that seamless transition happens right here and what we're looking at now in Daniel chapter 11, uh, where an angel is revealing to Daniel history from the Persian Empire to the Greek Empire. And midway through the chapter, the focus is placed on one Greek ruler in particular, and his name is Antiochus Epiphanes. And in Jewish history, Antiochus Epiphanes is known for his monstrous ways of treating Jewish people. Antiochus wanted Jewish people to stop being Jewish and to act Greek. He wanted to Hellenize them. So so he forced them to stop circumcision and he wanted them to stop Torah reading, and he forced them to eat unkosher foods and to work on Sabbath. Everything and anything that defined a person as a Jew was to be stopped. He even sacrificed, Antiochus even sacrificed a pig on the altar and set up statues of Greek gods in the temple, uh, in in the Jewish temple, to make it Greek, to Hellenize it. And Daniel calls that in Daniel chapter 11, the abomination of desolation. However, in Daniel chapter 11, in verse 36, there's a transition that happens. A transition from history, and remember, that's history from our perspective. Remember, Daniel is writing, and it's all prophecy to him, but now we're looking back from 2017, and we're looking at history, and we're seeing in verse 36 of Daniel chapter 11, history become prophecy. Events in human history that haven't happened yet. 
And in Daniel 11.36, it says this future ruler, and it's a ruler that we believe will be the Antichrist. It says in verse 36 that he will do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. That's almost another way of saying the most high god. Just look at how pride is the agenda for the future establishment of the Antichrist. Remember, we said pride is forgetting your position in God's plan. Well, the Antichrist didn't forget. He just outright neglects his position, and he exalts himself and magnifies himself above God, and he speaks against the God of gods. This text falls in line with what the Apostle Paul's prophecy of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2.4 says. When the Antichrist will step foot in a future rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, and it says there in verse 4 that he exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, taking his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Not only does the Antichrist pridefully position himself above God in his pride. Think about this. He also neglects his family heritage. The the religion that he grows up in in his family, he magnifies himself above that. And the text says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 39, anyone who acknowledges him will be honored, saying that in his pride, he lifts up those who honor him first. But once again, like Belshazzar's demise, the Antichrist will be met with the reality that even his breath, again, is in the hands of God. That even though he occupies a momentous moment in the future, he too will be judged. He too will be weighed by God and found wanting. Chapter 11 ends not with the Antichrist's glory, but with his destruction. Because pride goes before destruction. The Antichrist will find his end in Israel, where it says at the end of chapter 11, he stations himself between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, and there he shall come to his end with none to help him, as the text says there at the very end of Daniel chapter 11. If the Antichrist's agenda, my friends, is pride, then we know what Jesus Christ's agenda is. It's humility. Remember again the words of Paul from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, when Paul urges us as Christians to have this mind among us. Listen, have this mind among us, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And listen, in his obedience, do you know what God does? He magnifies Christ and exalts him. My friends, Pride transcends time. As Daniel shows us, it brought down kingdoms in the past, and it will bring down the reign of the Antichrist. Don't let pride bring you down, but instead, remember your position in God's plan. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. Recently, several Orthodox women stopped my wife and me as we walked down the street. 
Do you keep the Sabbath? One asked. I told her I keep most of what is written in the Bible, but I do not follow the rabbinical commentaries. How can you say our rabbi's writings are not kosher? One woman asked. Tell me, I began. What is more important, to worship God according to rabbinical tradition or to worship him according to the Bible? They did not know what to say. Finally, one woman asked, Do you come to synagogue every morning to pray? I pray at home every morning, I replied. Again, they were surprised. But how can you pray when there is no one to listen to you or say amen? I open my heart before our Lord, I told her. I am not interested in having people listen to me as you are. The Lord hears my prayers. When Hannah went to the house of prayer in Shiloh to beg God for a son, did she pray in a loud voice or did she pray from her heart? The women remained quiet. So I continued, We know she prayed silently from the depths of her soul. Yet what did the high priest tell her afterward? Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. Later she gave birth to a son and named him Samuel, which means God has heard. If you only pray in a loud voice so all can hear, but you do not pray from the depths of your soul, your prayers have no value. You are interesting, said another woman. What did you learn this? Surely not from your rabbis. I have received all of this by faith through reading the Bible and by praying from my heart before God. They began to ask many questions. Tell me who you are, one said. Are you one who believes in the New Testament? I told them, my duty as an Israeli whom the Lord has chosen is to proclaim his truth. One woman replied, What you are telling us is written in the New Testament. You see how blind you are? You do not even know these important verses from the Bible. I showed them where all this was written. Read, I said. I opened my Bible to Isaiah 49.3, and he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Since we live in Jerusalem, I also ask them to read Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I do my best to work for his glory. Then one asked, Did you serve in the army when you were young? I said, I fought in every war from 1948 through 1973. Now our sons serve. We have 15 grandchildren, and they are beginning to serve. The Lord commands us, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. We left on friendly terms. I prayed God used my wife and me as his servants to help open their eyes to the truth. We hope our study of Daniel was an encouragement to you. The Friends of Israel will be in Lancaster, Pennsylvania in September teaching the entire book of Daniel at our annual Prophecy Conference. And if you can't join us, keep an eye out for the audio sets later this year. 
We at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry have been able to share the love of the Messiah and support Israel and the Jewish people since 1938, and it's all because of generous donations and prayers from our faithful supporters. If you feel led to support our work or you simply want to reach out to us, visit foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. Or you can call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. Or you can write to us at FOI Radio P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey 08099. Quickly again, that's FOI Radio P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey 08099. Let us know when you call or write where you're listening. Our host and teacher is Chris Katulka, and today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, Mike Kellogg, Red Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.